Hello. When I listened to the readings for today, it reminded me of a weekend away for the Twyford Fellowship Group about 12 years ago. And I listened to the talks from that weekend and thought, do you know what? I can't really improve on that. So you're going to hear uh, the talk from the beginning of the weekend and the summary at the end of the weekend in a moment. But first, uh, here are the readings. Good morning. My name is Chris and this morning I'm going to be reading Revelation verses 6 to 10 from the New Living Translation. <clears throat> then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honour to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, I'm Glaxon. The second reading is taken from John 2 verses 1 to 11 and I'm reading it from NLT version. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festive, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jar with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine not knowing where, where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings up the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Another thing the Bible calls us is the sons of God. Everyone look at a girl and say, you're a son of God. The Bible says we are sons of God. All right, you've done it now. The Bible says we're sons of God. And the reason for that, well, there's an awful lot. We could just spend a weekend looking at what it means to be a son of God. You're also a daughter of God if you're a girl, but the, the 
Actual, but the Bible says there is something about sonship which God gives to all of us. But then there's another thing, which is what we are going to look at, and it is that we are the bride of Christ. So, girls, tell the boys you're the bride of Christ. Yes. Now, shh. Actually, there's a subtle difference there because as individuals. We're sons and children of God, but it's together that we're the bride of Christ. And God gives us a prophetic picture of what it means to be his people in that very phrase, bride of Christ. And he gives it to us through how God led the Jews to learn how to get married. And although if you go up to a modern Jew, they do it in you know, roughly the same way, as we might be comfortable with as Christians and in Western culture, the sort of thing where you sort of get engaged and then you have a day of celebrations. In the Bible times, it was different. And I'm going to take you through what a Bible time Jew went through when they were going to get married to another one. And the first, and it has three stages. And the first stage is the betrothal. And the first thing that happened was that the dad of the groom made a choice of which young lady was going to be his son's bride. Sometimes that choice was made when they were only kids, four or five years old. Nothing happened then except the choice was made. But sometimes it happened then. But the dad's choice was the thing that mattered. So the father chose the bride for the son. Equally, of course, the, bride, the, the girl's parents would have been part of that. And what happened was that... Uh, did I just turn that off? No. What happened was that the bride then accepts or rejects. Actually, the boy had no choice. The girl had a choice. The boy had to trust his father or his parents, to find the right bride for him. The bride could then say yes or no to the parents that were coming. So if she didn't like the look of the family, she might say no. But she had that choice. If she accepted, then all the benefits of being part of the new family started to come to her. If she rejected, obviously, she got none of them. Third thing was once she'd said yes, and partly these two things happened at the same time, because the father would have said, this is how much I will pay you, and this is how much I will pay your family if you will become my son's bride. And if you look in the Bible in various places, there are all sorts of things that that might have been. Um, in Genesis chapter 24, a Isaac, no, Abraham sent his servant to get a bride for Isaac and sent loads of gold and loads of silver and loads of camels. But in Samuel, the king said to David, to have my daughter as your wife, I want the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. So that was a mighty work. David went out and got 200. Because he was like that. But it could have been anything. 
It could have been a sacrificial gift or it could have been a riches gift, but the father or the groom had to go and pay a price. The next thing is some form of contract was drawn up which said, if you will become my bride, I promise you this, and if I become your bride, I promise you that. And the fifth thing in this first section was they had a ritual uh, washing, much like baptism. They would have both gone under the water and come up again, and as, as a ceremony to say they were clean. And then they would have shared a cup of wine, and at the end of that, they were now betrothed. That's not a word that we use in our relationships, in our services, because what that meant, from that moment on, they were considered to be man and wife. But it doesn't mean what we think, because there's a next stage. And the next stage is that the groom now leaves the wife and says, I'm going back to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And one day, I will return. And what he had to do was go home to his dad's house and start building an extension and a room for the bride. That had to take at least one year, during which they were considered to still be man and wife, but if they'd been chosen at four or five, it might have taken a lot longer. And he had to make a room that was good enough for the bride. And it was his father's decision when the room was good enough because the father would say, no, you've missed a bit over there. That would embarrass the family. It's got to be good enough. And until the father said it was good enough, he wasn't allowed back. So they entered the second stage of the whole relationship, which is called the waiting period, or in Hebrew, the irizin. I don't know how to say it, but the wait. So in this waiting period, they are man and wife. They do not live together. They haven't touched each other. They're not up there, but they are completely man and wife. That's the stage that Joseph and Mary were in in the Christmas story. They were man and wife, or at least at the point where Jesus was conceived. They were in this stage, but they weren't living together. Okay? During that time, then, the groom is at his father's house preparing the chamber, making the room ready. The bride is at home waiting in readiness and learning what it means to be a good uh, housekeeper, mainly, because in those days, the woman's... And in fact, all the way up to Victorian times and well into the 20th century, the woman's job was to be a homemaker. And to make the house a place to bring up children and so forth. And in those days, back in Bible times, that was what she would be learning. But, as you're about to see, she had to be learning that in a special way. Because when the waiting period was over, we come to the actual marriage itself. Which is being delayed, here we come. And the first thing is, Dad decides it's time. Now, the Jews make fun of every situation. They have some fairly solemn ceremonies, but they make it into fun. Like, for instance, you may know, in the Feast of Passover, just before that, they have to make sure all the yeast is, outside, is out of the house. 
So what the mother does, she goes and hides some all the way around the house, and the kids spend a whole day going around finding bits of yeast and getting prizes for finding it. So they make a big, fun ceremony out of almost everything they do. And they're no different with this, because nine times out of ten, the father would come along at two in the morning and say, right, it's ready, go and get her. And that's when the groom would head off in the middle of the night. Jesus said something about that. He said, you know, that's that um, parable about the five wise and the five foolish bridesmaids. Have yourself ready even in the middle of the night. Okay? So the groom's father decides it is time. What happens then is that the groom Lee gets all his mates together. He gets his best man, he gets his friends, and they go in as a sort of posse, as a sort of... Uh, a gr gang of guys blowing ram's horns and I have got a recording of a ram's horn but I forgot to put it on here, I might play it to you tomorrow blowing ram's horns and waking up the neighbourhood because as I say in convention they normally did this in the middle of the night and goes and stands outside the bride's house blowing a ram's horn and saying I've come for you Okay, and because they like to make fun of it, he expects the bride to be ready. Now, this is over a year since the betrothal, and she has to be perfectly ready for him when he arrives. So he expects her to be dressed, ready for his arrival, even in the middle of the night. And what would happen is the groom's father would hide his face so he couldn't see because he had to protect his daughter. And really, the job was that he shouldn't let this man take the daughter. So there was a sort of game they played where the groom had to get in without the father seeing. And the father would go, oh, I can't see him. And it was all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Grab the bride. And then he had to carry her all the way back to his house, however far it was. Wasn't allowed to put her on a cart or a donkey. Had to carry her all the way. Makes you think a bit, doesn't it? Next step. Shh. Haven't finished yet. Shh. Because this is the stage that the wedding in Cana was at when Jesus went to the wedding in Cana. When they get back to the father's house where he's built a chamber for her. They go into the chamber together, and they stay there together and undisturbed for seven days. <laughs> meanwhile, 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 the rest of the procession, which was all the guys that had gone with the groom, the bride's family, all her bridesmaids and all her friends who had gone back chasing the bride, as he, the groom as he carried the bride, and all the groom's family who were there waiting, and anyone else they could muster up, had a big seven-day-long feast and party outside the chamber in the groom's house. There was one special person called the best man, and I think in those days you chose your best man very carefully, because his job was to wait at the doorway until the marriage was consummated, bring out a cloth to prove she was a virgin and say, yes, I've seen they've consummated the marriage. Oh. If you don't know what that means, I think enough people do. 
Right. Moving on to the next stage. After seven days separated from society. After seven days... After seven days alone, they come out and they are revealed to the world and they now start to live what we would call man and wife. They've actually been man and wife, remember, ever since they were betrothed, but now they are together and now they live as we might expect a man and wife to be. Okay, why have I told you all of that? Some of you have an idea, because some of you picked up in that parallels between what I've just said and little things that happen in the Gospels where Jesus is speaking and talking to his flock, his people, and saying some of those sorts of things to them. And actually, every single one of those stages, Jesus went through and the bride, the church, goes through as well. And some of you tomorrow will be doing a study looking at that, although we'll talk a bit more how we're going to divide into groups tomorrow. But that is really the message of this weekend, in a sense. Three things. One, that the Father has chosen the bride for his son. And the bride the Father has chosen for his son Jesus is us. That choice has already been made. <coughs> Secondly, should we just flick back? Well, we can do it from there. Secondly, we have or we have not accepted. And each one of us knows which of those two statements is true for us, or some of us might be unsure whether we have. But if we have accepted, then all the benefits of being part of the Father's family are available to us. And if we have rejected, none of them are. That is the difference. You remember I said one of the names was the church, the called out ones. We're either called out and followed, or we haven't. That's the distinction between all parts of humanity. There's just two. It's not black, white, Protestant, <coughs> Catholic, Muslim, Jew. It's have we accepted or have we not accepted that relationship with God? The groom and his father pay a price. Most of you can think about what that might have been. A contract is drawn up. We call it the New Testament, the New Covenant. There is a contract in that. Ritual washing, baptism. Have you ever wondered why Jesus got baptized? Because the groom had to be baptized or ritually washed as well as the bride. Had to do it as part of the contract. <coughs> the wine. Well, I wonder where wine comes into it all. I think most of you know it. And then the groom leaves, promising to return. That's where we're at. The question for this weekend is what comes next, and also, where are we at? So those two questions are sort of in this weekend. Okay, I'm going to do a sort of summing up of the weekend now, taking that word. 
Uh, I'm going to speak for no more than a minute about each one of those letters, and uh, I'm not going to say very much at all. In fact, you're going to say most of it. Just to sum up, what I think we have received from the weekend, uh, there are five things that I think we have understood about a bride in Bible times and how that relates to us as the bride of Christ. And the first one is that the bride is bought. Everyone say, the bride of, the bride of Christ has been bought. And if you know that you are part of the bride of Christ, would you now please say, we have been bought. We have been bought. And if that revelation, that understanding has come to you for the first time this weekend, would you now please say, I have been bought. You belong to Christ. The second word is reserved. The bride reserves herself for the groom. Would everyone please say, the bride of Christ is reserved for Jesus. The bride of Christ is reserved for Jesus. And if you know you are part of the bride, would you please say, we are reserving ourselves for Jesus. We are reserving ourselves for Jesus. The third one is intimacy. The bride is intimate with her groom. And the bride of Christ needs to spend time being intimate with Jesus. So would everyone please say, the bride of Christ is intimate with Jesus. The bride of Christ is intimate with Jesus. And if you're going to go home and spend time intimate with Jesus, do you please say, I am going to be intimate with Jesus. The fourth one is that the bride is just so proud to declare the fact that she is the bride of this guy. The bride of Christ declares her love for Jesus. Could you say, the bride of Christ declares her love for Jesus? The bride of Christ declares her love for Jesus. And with a little bit of passion, if you're part of the bride of Christ, would you say, we're going to declare our love for Jesus. We're going to declare our love for Jesus. And finally, the bride has to live her life expecting the groom to come at any moment. So would you please say, the bride of Christ is expectant. The bride of Christ is expectant. Would you please say, we are expectant. We are Thank you. Some of you are writing that down, taking photographs of it. You don't need to, because I'm about to give you something now. <clears throat> okay. Um, this is a little booklet which has in it... So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the church is your bride, that you came for her to win her, to woo her, and to pay the price for her. And we thank you that each one of us who has said yes to you has become part of that bride that you love so much. Help us to understand that is who we are, that we are bought, we 
are yours and we are able to reflect you in this world today. As we go into this week, let us go in the certain knowledge that we are of your family, we are your bride, and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.